western part of our nation. And it came out of the capital of our nation and men responded unto that darkness and arose and walked with it. And that darkness began to envelop this very land. But oh, oh, the hearts of many that know God, sensed in their spirits and those of us that stand on the horizon of time, shall sound forth a word of warning. And so there shall arise the mighty ones, those called of God, separated unto him, and they shall make intercession, and the light shall shine, and drive back the darkness, and the evil and wicked men shall fall. And there will be those, and remember, it was told unto you in advance, it was told unto you years in advance, there shall be those in high places who will fall down dead. And some shall say, oh, they would have made such a great leader. I cannot understand. But those who know the voice of the Spirit shall rejoice and be glad, for ye shall know the dark, that darkness has been stayed, and the hand of the enemy has been defeated. So understand that that is a prelude. Because we know that we will come into a time of such great tribulation, like Jesus said, that the world's never known, it'll never know again. But know that in the Old Testament, before the, before the kingdom of Judah fell, there was a time of revival. And then they fell. And so understand that at any given time, we've been in the end time since Jesus rose from the dead. First century church was like, he's coming back, he's coming right back. Second century church, he's coming right back. And all the way down through the ages, they've all said the same thing. And it's true that we have never been closer to the return of Jesus. And tomorrow, we will be closer than we are today. Okay? But understand that at any time, if the people of a nation, because God brings judgment against nations, not his people who live in those nations, because over in Revelation, talking about Babylon, before judgment comes upon that kingdom that... You know, the people are conjecture, well, what's Babylon? We don't know. We know it's a wicked kingdom in the last days. And God tells his people right before the judgment, come out of her, my people. So when God brings judgment on a nation, he's not bringing judgment on his people who live in that nation because those people are part of his kingdom. You understand that? So it's when the people of a nation turn to God, then God has no reason to bring judgment upon that nation. Okay? So my point is, is that people say, okay, well, we're in the end times now. Well, yeah, we've been in the end times. There's all these terrible things happening. Oh, yeah, we see all these terrible things happening. But understand that the commission stays the same regardless of what time we are in the timeline. Because when you read that prophecy and you say, yeah, I believe that's of God. And okay, well, what's the key? To make intercession and sounding forth a warning. What does the intercession do? It prepares the hearts of the people who we're going to talk to. And then the sound of warning is what? That's the gospel. So the plan is always the same. God's plan is always the same. The Great Commission does not change. But if we change in response to the times, that might compromise our message. So we have to stay true to the message. Amen? Okay. That's all I got to say about that. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As one of my teachers at Ramah said, praise hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) 
joy in the harvest, Lord. All right, Hebrews 4. Look down at chapter, I mean, uh, chapter, if you were in chapter 4, look down at verse 12. It says, for the word of God, what, what, the what of God? The word. And and I know that we really stress the word here, but uh, I stress it so that you will stress it in your life. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This verse mentions the soul and the spirit as two different things. Most Americans think they're the same thing, but they're not. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ and people ask well okay so we can see that there's a difference between the soul the spirit and the body man's a three-part being we know that we've talked about that people ask okay well what's the difference between the soul and the spirit that's a fair question your spirit is what you are the fabric of your existence, if you want to put it that way. I always think, when I, when I put it that way, I always picture like a bolt of fabric. You know, for those of you who know how to sew, you know, you pull that bolt of fabric out. This is your base material that you are making something from. Okay. Psalm 20, 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. In the Jewish mindset, the belly dealt with the innermost part of your being. So now a candle is a thing that has no source of life in and of itself. Some translations say it's, it's the lamp of the Lord. The, the spirit of man is the lamp. But a lamp, uh, the lamp has no spark in of itself. It has to be lit. Like a candle has to be lit. So when God knits you together in the womb... You could say he ignited you into life. Well, it's a, it's a mystery. It's hard to explain. Even modern scientists, they can tell you how a physical heart works with, you know, electrical impulses and things like that of that nature. But they have never been able to figure out what they refer to as the spark of life. You know, well, God sparks life. That's an easy answer for us. We're like, well, God sparks life. You know, see, because it's not something that can be understood with the logic of the head. It's only the understanding of the heart. And your heart sometimes can understand something that your head can't articulate. Right? It's like something inside me tells me, I know, but I can't explain how I know, or I can't explain how it works, but I know. <laughs> you know? So, you know. Really, you know, the, under, the soul and the, and the mind are the same. You know, just as the spirit and the heart are the same. We can explain it to Americans that way, and then we Americans can, okay, I can, I can, I can get that, because we talk about the, you know, the heart and the mind. 
And see, still, you know, people have a hard, hard time finding the dividing point between the mind and the heart, even when they understand there's a difference between the mind and the heart. Because both of those things speak to us, don't they? They both do. Just like the body speaks to you. Your body speaks to you. Your, your, your mind speaks to you. Your, your spirit speaks to you. We can't explain it. Well, why? You know, I've, I've had Christians ask me, how do I know the difference between when my mind or my heart is speaking to me? I say speaking, but really communicating. You know. Because, you know, you, you, know, you think about it this way. Your body communicates to you through your five senses. So like, if, if, but your body doesn't give you a complete thought. It can't, it can't, you know, so like you, you smash your thumb with a hammer, right? And then your body, you know, your, your, what does your body tell your mind? Pain. Ow. Right? It's just, it's just a, and then the mind then articulates that thing that the body has communicated. And the mind says, I just smacked my thumb with a hammer and it really hurts. You know, or whatever. Oh, why did I do that? Or whatever, you know. But the point is, is the mind is the thing that articulates that, the, the response from the body, when the body gives a report. Okay? So, uh, and I'll, I'll, we'll probably bring that example up again a little bit later. But the, when people ask, well, how do I know the difference between when my mind or my heart is speaking to me? The answer is, how much of God's word have you put into your heart? How much of this is in your heart? Because it said right here in Hebrews, let's read it again, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful, the word of God is, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. So then the word of God is the only thing that's sharp enough to, to, to find the dividing point between spirit and soul, heart and mind, because the, the two things can sound very similar when they're speaking to you, right? Now, if you were to take a concordance and go back to Genesis 3, when God made Adam, you know, first he formed his body, right? He formed his body from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his life, or breathed into his nostrils, what? The, the breath of life. And then it said, man became a living person. Well, okay, so did that happen? Uh, did he make the body? When, when he became a living person, did he become a living person before? Or after he breathed into his life, his nostrils, he already had a body, but he did not become a living person until after God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And if you, if you had a concordance and you looked, you looked at that word breath, uh, you examined it under concordance, you'd see that, the, that in the definition of the word, both soul and spirit are included in that definition. So I believe, and this is my personal def belief, that the reason it's so difficult to find the dividing point between soul and spirit is because God made them simultaneously so they are knit together. Okay, so when a person dies, it says we, you know, we don't, death is just separation. All right, so, and so people don't, I mean, people ask, you know, when you start going into this, they're like, okay, well, okay, so the spirit goes to be with God, what happens to the soul? The soul has to go with the spirit because the soul is attached to the spirit. And again, this is opinion. This is opinion. This is what I think makes sense to me. So then, your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. That's what comprises the soul. It is the part of you where you make your decisions. 
See, your heart will convict you of things. Your heart will, you know, you start to make a, some, some decisions, start to go some, move somewhere, and the heart goes, mm, nope. You know, your heart will hold you accountable, I guess you could say. But see, your mind is what makes decisions, that part of you that makes decisions. You decide things with your mind the same as, the, is the same as you would pick up a cup with your hand. Does that make sense? That's the function of the mind. It, it, it's the place where you make decisions, ponder things. So this is really no different than defining the different organs in your body. You know, your, you, you, your lungs are that part of you that processes oxygen. That's what, what they do. Your stomach is that part of you that digests food. They are different parts, yet they are both still parts of you. Okay, is this helpful? So, it's very similar with the soul and the spirit. So why am I talking about this? Well, last week we talked about David and Goliath, but the primary focus of that message was the heart of mankind, the spirit of man. And today we're going to look at the soul a little bit. You know, we're still talking kind of about the heart, but we're looking at the soul a little bit. So, um, but first, before we get into that, turn with me to Joshua 14. Joshua. How many of you thought I was going to take you to Joshua today? Now, you may remember, I've got, I've got a lot of veterans with me today. You may remember the trouble that Israel had the first time they arrived at the promised land. You know, they... They get there. God took them the long way. This was before they spent 40 years in the wilderness. God did take them the long way around. He didn't take them up by Gaza. He took them the long way. And they get there. It didn't take them too long to get there. And so they get there. And uh, before they went to enter the land, Moses took 12 spies. He sent them out to get the lay of the land, you know, get, find out what the people are like, where they live, what kind of cities they have, what, you know, what kind of defenses they have, what kind of crops, all that. And so the spies spend 40 days in the land. And when they came back, they said, yeah, it's a great land. A lot of awesome stuff there, you know. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Uh, but, you know, then 10 of the spies started to discourage the people by saying, we can't take the land. You know, one of their main focuses was there's giants in the land. There's giants here. We can't, we can't take it. And, uh, well, only two of the spies said, if, you know, we can take the land. We can do it. God had been telling them repeatedly, I'll be with you. I'll help you take the land. So they're like, we can do it. One of those spies was Joshua. The other was Caleb. Now, the people listened to the 10 spies who gave the bad report, and they had to turn around. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness until that entire generation died off, you remember. And then the only two guys that didn't die in the wilderness were Joshua and Caleb. God preserved the dream that was in their heart and kept them alive so they could see it. So here in Joshua 14 is where it picks up. Look down at verse 6 with me. It says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. When God gives a word, uh, it's, good, it's, it's wise to pay attention to who he's giving it for. Who does it pertain to? Who, does it, who is it about? Okay. He's, in verse 7, he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. 
Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the, that's the giants, the Anakim, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. So the reason why I brought you to this passage is because I want to show you what it looks like when a person allows their mind to yield to their heart in the things they say. I'm going to say that one again. I want to show you what it looks like when a person allows their mind to yield to their heart in the things they say. Look back up at verse 7. He says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Can you go against what your heart is telling you with the things you say? Yes, you can. I've done it. What was in Caleb's heart? He told the people, let's go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to take it. That's what he said. We are well able. Let's go do it. Why? Because God had been telling them again and again and again, I will be with you, and I will help you take the land. I will drive out the nations ahead of you. That's what God told them. Okay? So those words that that Caleb gave that were from his heart, they came from the fact that Caleb trusted God and what he said. I mean, he saw the same things these people saw. He saw giants in the land. He saw all the same things that they, all the other spies saw. And so maybe it wasn't, I mean, we like to think of Caleb as like, yeah, let's do it. And, and maybe he was, but, you know, there's still that temptation that, to, to say, ooh, this is, this is a tall order, Lord. You know, but he, but he was faithful to give the word as God had planted it in his heart. Okay. So his heart told him that they were well able to take the land. And people ask, okay, so then is the heart a safe guide? Well, that depends. If you have said out loud that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you have a recreated spirit or heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's key. Are you in him? Are you walking with him? Anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old King James says he is a new creature. That's your spirit, the heart. You ever wonder, you know, over in Nicodemus, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in John 3, 
and uh, Jesus said, uh, you know, the wind, the wind blows and you can't, you can't see, you don't know where it's coming or where it's going. You know, you can feel the effects of the wind is what he said, but you, you can't see it. So you don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. He said, the, so are those who are born of the spirit. Why? Because they look like regular people, but inside they're a new creature. So then any person who follows Christ has been given a new nature. That's what Jesus meant when he said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, who he, he was he talking about? He wasn't talking about all mankind there. He was talking to the disciples about the disciples. This spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why was their spirit willing? Because they belonged to Jesus. They called him Lord. <laughs> so. The spirit is willing. The, the, for a person who, who follows Jesus, their spirit is willing. The flesh is what's weak. So see, then after you accept Jesus as your Lord, your heart just naturally wants to please him because that's its nature now. That's its new nature. So it's the flesh that's weak. Jesus, Jesus will give us new glorious bodies like he has when he returns, but the time for that is not yet. We still deal with this flesh Charles Capps called it his earth suit. But this is my ticket to walk around on earth, to follow the plan that God gave him to do. So right now, you know, right now, at this time that we're living in, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So what's the deciding factor? Because if the, if the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, what's, what decides? What decides which direction you're going to go? The word said the flesh is against God, always will be. Doesn't want to, it doesn't, it's rebellious, wants to do its own thing. That's why we war within ourselves. We struggle with temptation because the flesh wants to do this thing and the spirit wants to please God. So what's the defi- deciding factor then? What decides? Well, the, it, it's, it's the soul. Because the soul is the part of you where you make your decisions. After listening to the counsel from the flesh, which wants to do its own thing, and the spirit, which wants to please God, the Christian then must, with their soul, decide which counsel they will follow. Because you've been given a new nature in your spirit, because your spirit has been recreated, and so you now have a new place, a, a different place that you can respond from when temptation comes. Am I going to respond from the old man, from the, the sinful nature, or am I going to respond from my new nature, which is in Christ? See how simple God makes things. We complicate things. We're like, well, what about this temptation? And what about this temptation? What about this temptation? God's like, it's all temptation of one kind or another. What are you going to do? What's your decision? So then, this is why it's important to get in the word. The word says to, to, to be in the word, renew your mind. You know, what's the, it's, 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 it's Romans 12, right? Romans 12, 1. Let me find it just real quick. This is key. See, it's equipping time. I'm equipping you. Just after Acts. I'm going slow because I want to make sure I get it. Romans 12.
Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your whole bodies a living sacrifice. Okay, well, why does that, why? so you don't kill your body, obviously. It's a living sacrifice. So what does that mean? Well, it means that I, put the fl- I, I take the flesh and what the flesh wants to do, and I say, no. It's a sacrifice. I, 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 you know, I'm not going to do what the flesh wants to do. That you present your whole bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So your mind is renewed day by day in the word. So see, now, uh, you know, I spend my time in the word and now my mind is renewed. My flesh, I mean, my spirit always wants to please God. My spirit's always willing. This is why Christians struggle. You met lots of Christians who are like, I want to do right by God, but I just keep messing up. Well, it's because they're not in the word. Because what happens? Their mind is not renewed and the flesh wants to do what the flesh wants to do. So now it's the, it's the, it's the soul and the flesh against the spirit, which the spirit's willing. And so what do they do? They follow, the, the mind follows the, 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 what the flesh wants to do, and that, what that does is it violates their conscience because their conscience is the voice of the spirit which wants to please God. And so they're constantly living in, ah, oh, I just keep messing up. But if they renew their mind and their mind is renewed, now it's two against one versus the flesh because the spirit wants to please God. The spirit is willing. And then you get your mind right by renewing your, it in the word, and now it's two against one, and they can say, flesh, no. <laughs> Is this news? It's good news. So then, now let's pay attention back with, with what happened with Joshua. See all those other ten spies, all the other ten spies besides Caleb and Joshua. Because Joshua was the other spy that was like, yeah, we need to take the land. Like Caleb said, I'm with Caleb, right? So besides them, those ten other spies, what did they do? They overrode what was in their heart. How do we know that? Because they received the same message from God that Caleb and Joshua had. They were also in covenant with God. And God had told the entire community, I will be with you. I will drive out the nations ahead of you. I will help you. And, you know, we know from the New Testament that whenever the word of God is sown, it's sown straight to the heart. You can, you can find that where Jesus talked about the parable of the sower. doesn't matter whether a person receives it or I mean, if they don't pay attention to it, they choose not to understand it, then the devil comes and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. But if they understand it and they take the time, see, it's planted in their heart. That's why when you speak God's word to a person who doesn't know Jesus, you speak the word, you can see it bypass their, you know, if it's, if it's God's word, it will penetrate their heart. And it, it immediately, their, their defenses are down because it just crumbles, because the defenses are here in the realm of reason. Anyway, so what had happened was, is God had sown his word in the hearts of all the people, I will be with you, I will help you take the land. 
And so this word that was in the, other, the, the, the hearts of the other ten spies, they chose to override that word with the mind, and then reasoning took over, and they said, we can't take the land because they are, there are giants there. Okay. So then look at verse 8. He said, this is Caleb still speaking, he says, nevertheless... My brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. How did those other spies make the heart of the people melt? Well, they spread a bad report. We can't take the land. We can't do it. Can't do it. A lot of Christians are saying that about this nation. We can't win this land. How does God win lands now? He, he wins over people's heart. So, those men had also been told what God, that God would help them take the land, but they ignored the message God had put in their heart. And Caleb said that their bad report made the heart of the people melt. Words are powerful. I was talking to a pastor one time we were working on a project together, and he, he began to share some thoughts that he had been having, and they were not good thoughts. Um, and I really, I have a lot of respect for the man. He did a lot in his community, did a lot for the kingdom. And so, you know, it was difficult for me when he started talking about, well, he started reasoning, well, if Jesus paid the price for all sins, everyone must be saved without having to actually accept Jesus. Well, now that's a lie. And in my heart, warning bells were going off. Eh, eh, eh. Danger. Because that's not what the Word of God says. Now, my heart was willing to point out the error. But the flesh is weak. My flesh does not like confrontation. Maybe your flesh does. Some people's flesh likes confrontation. I had a friend high school who loved to get in and ruffle feathers it's like stop that I can't hardly take I can't hardly stand that because my flesh doesn't like confrontation you know my flesh likes everyone to get along and have manageable differences of opinion my flesh likes to be comfortable feel accepted why can't we all just get along you know and of course, you know, when you point out an error, there's always that risk that, you, that what you have to say will not be accepted. And so he puts this false doctrine out there, and suddenly I, ha I have this internal struggle going on. We need, to, we need to say something. I don't want to say something, but we need to say something, but I don't want to say something. You know, you know how that goes. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but see, I could tell by watching him, because I, I've learned... I've learned, you know, um, and I knew by that time, at least that was good, to hang back and see what the Lord says, if the Lord says anything. Wait, wait a second. Uh, so I could tell by watching him that he was conflicted himself about this. He was kind of reasoning, reasoning it out with me. You know, people will float something to you to see what you think about it, and if you agree, then they can, they fe they can feel justified, and then, you know, pretty soon you've got this whole mess on your hands. So I could tell that he was conflicted, and so as I was considering him, a question came up in my heart. 
God, again, God simplifies things. I mean, I could, I could pull out scriptures and be like, this, the word says this, 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 this. That's reactionary, right? That's not being, that's maybe being quick to hear, but it's not being slow to speak. Like the words that be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. You know, so I'm like, all right, 